Later this morning, two faculty will be announced as the recipients of two faculty awards, the Excellence in Teaching and the Excellence in Scholarship Awards. It's become a tradition that the faculty member that was awarded the Excellence in Teaching Award last year, in the previous year, speak at this opening academic convo. Last year, that award was presented to Dr. Diana Rice, and it's my pleasure to introduce her as our speaker today. Dr. Rice has a BA from Houghton College and an MS and a PhD in psychology from Syracuse University. She's been a faculty member at Geneva since 2005, and she currently holds the title Associate Professor of Psychology. Dr. Rice is a talented woman, both inside and outside of the classroom. Her students describe her as having a fresh and relevant teaching style that is easy to relate to on a personal level. She's open with her home, and likes to get, her, get to know her students on a, in a personal way. She uses her administrative gifts quite ably in the role of department chair of psychology, counseling, and human services. Through her leadership last spring, the department hosted the 42nd annual Western Pennsylvania Undergraduate Psychology Conference, and Dr. Rice mentored six students who presented at that conference. Diana is married to Ben Rice, who works in tech services and has three children, Grant, Nora, and Katie. Not only is she an excellent teacher, but she can also prepare amazing food and craft beautiful quilts. I am privileged to call her neighbor, friend, and fellow preschool carpool mom. Perhaps her only flaw is that she's known to flaunt her preference for some New England athletic teams. <clears throat> Go Steelers. <clears throat> Please join with me to welcome our speaker today, Dr. Diana Rice. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank the students and faculty colleagues who nominated me for this award last year. Uh, this was not an award I anticipated receiving, especially when I look back at my first semester here and remember finding a Facebook hate group dedicated to sending me to a different country. I'm not joking. My picture wasn't there, but they had Dolores Umbridge. You know the villain from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix? Yeah, it was perfect. So, take home lesson. If your first semester doesn't end well, things could improve. This academic convocation is designed to welcome our new students. So I'm primarily gonna be addressing um, the freshmen and transfer students today. And what I'd like to talk to you about is the best thing that I learned when I was in college. Uh, it doesn't seem very long ago that I started out at Houghton, which is a sister Christian college. I was excited and nervous, which maybe you're feeling, but I was also very confident. Um, I had studied hard in high school. I was kind of a nerd. I went on a lot of short-term mission trips. I worked at Christian camps. I read my Bible. So I pretty much felt like I knew a lot of what I needed to know going into Christian college. Uh, I'm sure that sounds vain, but that's where I was. I did know that I needed to know stuff, but I thought that was mostly going to be about my major. Uh, I figured I knew the answers to the pretty big questions in life. So my plan was I was going to major in chemistry, and then I was going to go to medical school and open a family practice, and it was a good plan. What I expected to get out of college was knowing stuff about chemistry. The reason I thought college was important was 
that I thought it would get me ready for the next thing I wanted to do with my life. The gift that I got at college was figuring out I had it all wrong. I had a lot to unlearn about what I thought I knew about God, what I thought I knew about people, what I thought I knew about life. Um, for someone who pretty much feels like she's got it all together, that is not a pleasant take-home message. I hated realizing that some of my pet beliefs and prejudices were just wrong. But the process of unlearning those things was important, and it's really a gift that I hope that you get while you're here at Geneva. First of all, when I say unlearning, I don't want you to think that you need to discard everything that you know up to this point, or the things that your parents taught you, or the things that you love. Um, instead, I, th I think what it means is being willing to look at what you know and believe in love with a new perspective. So that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today, and give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. First of all, I think that unlearning involves humility. And humility, in my mind, involves asking questions. Not just questions in the classroom, but questions of your classmates and your roommates. Um, and asking questions um, with a specific point. And I mean by that a point of hearing and learning, rather than listening for keywords that you know the answers to and can argue against. I knew the right answers when I started college. Um, I grew up in a very conservative branch of God's church, and I had grown up doing what my Sunday school teachers called sword drills, where you hold the Bible over your head and find the verse real fast. I'd been doing that since I was too small to hold the Bible over my head and got special dispensation. Um, my Sunday school perfect attendance pin had extra dangly bits that went all the way down my dress because I was there so much. I mean, I knew what I needed to know. Um, but in knowing those right answers, I never once thought to ask why the people around me answered the questions of life differently than I did. I just never even thought that was important to figure out why they knew something different than me. Another piece of that was that because I knew the truth, I was confident that I needed to proclaim the truth. And this is maybe a skill that you learned when you were in high school, um, kind of telling your teachers back what you already know. Um, now I'm a social psychologist. Chemistry for me didn't stick well, but that's fine. Chemistry is still good. Um, I spent a lot of my I spent a lot of my time now as a social psychologist documenting how the things that we know to be true are, are sometimes just wrong. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to think about the idea that college isn't only about finding the right answers, but learning to ask the right questions, and then having the patience to listen for those answers. Richard Foster, <coughs> excuse me, Richard Foster in his book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, reminds us that arrogance and a teachable spirit are mutually exclusive. So this humility, this questioning, matters in the classroom if you're going to learn. It also matters in relationships. So I hope you'll be learning, uh, you'll be open to uh, learning new things and new ways to think in your classes. Um, the way your Bible professor talks about the Old Testament might be different than the way you've heard about it in the past, but I want you to keep listening. Unless that Bible professor says that you're a heretic if you're a Patriots fan. I heard about that. Um, it matters for your relationships. So ask questions of your roommates. Listen to your roommates. Ask your roommate who's a Reformed Presbyterian why she loves to sing the Psalms. 
Ask your LNT mentor, who is an Anglican, what's special to him about the Eucharist. Listen to the answers, because you want to know the person better, because you want to see Christ more clearly, not because you want to jump in and correct them or persuade them to see things your way. Um, it took me a very long time to be open to this idea. In fact, most of my early college years, I think I was on the defensive, partly because the college I went to was from a different denominational tradition than I had grown up in, um, and I felt like I had to defend my faith, even in a Christian campus. It's also partly because the public high school I attended didn't have a whole lot of room for Christians, and so I was already well-practiced in defending my beliefs. So add those two things together, and here's what you get. You get a college student in her freshman year, much like you, who felt like it was completely appropriate to stand up and walk out of chapel because a woman was preaching. Not skip chapel, because I wanted the points, but attend chapel with the purpose of pointedly walking out. Now, those of you who've had me for class or know me or have sat in on my psych of gender class might find that a little bit funny now, but at that point, that's where I was. Um, and here's what I want you to hear about this. The sponsoring denomination of the college I attended had no problem with ordaining women. They had women pastors. Um, it took me three years to even consider asking why they had answered que that question differently than I had. You do have the right to hold on to the beliefs that have shaped you and formed you in life. Randall Basinger is a philosopher at Messiah, um, and he talks about students' right to obstinacy. That sounds negative being obstinate. Um, but what he means is that even if you can't argue with philosophically correct um, theorems, you can still hold on to your beliefs. Along with that, though, he says, and I'm arguing um, in that direction as well, that you have the right to hold on to your beliefs, but you also have a responsibility to think. Over the next few years, you have the task of not just memorizing definitions or remembering how to do a t-test, but of thinking about what you believe and why. Of thinking about why other people have come to different conclusions than you have. And of remembering that the people you disagree with are still your brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you're granted the gift of unlearning. There's one quick second idea about college that I'd encourage you to unlearn as well, and I think it's related to the type of humility and questioning I've been describing up to this point. One of the things we sometimes get wrong is that we focus lots on what you want to be and not very much at all on who you're called to love. If you're a new freshman, probably the question you've heard more frequently than any other this summer is, where are you going to college? What are you going to study? So what are you going to do with that? Um, and you might be sick of hearing those questions. Um, I don't think they're wrong questions necessarily, but I think they might start to point us in the wrong direction. Um, in preparing for one of my classes this summer, I read um, Charles Drew's book called A Journey Worth Taking. And he talks about primary, secondary, and tertiary calling. So he describes our primary calling as um, one that applies to all of us, and it's to love God with our whole hearts, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the focus for all of us. But it's pretty general. There's nothing in that calling that tells us exactly how I ought to do that. Secondary calling, according to Drew, has to do with knowing ourselves and who God wired us to be. So remember I mentioned that I was a chem major and then I wasn't. Well, secondary calling comes into play there because my plan was to be a chem major so I could go to medical school. 
Um, but then I remembered that I get dizzy and throw up every time I see blood and thought maybe my original sense of secondary calling was a bit off. Secondary calling helps us to start to understand how God might, might want us to be in the world that he made, that he's calling us to live out our lives in. And it's important for you to allow yourself space to think about that and investigate that. Um, take classes that aren't in your major if you have room. Maybe switch majors. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. That's part of figuring out who you're made to be. And I find this idea so exciting. I was talking to students yesterday about this and um, was a little bit over-the-top emotional about being part of God's work in the world and doing so based on the gifts that he's given you and the, and the relationships he's put you in in your life. Um, the thing about this is, though, that calling is not necessarily glamorous. And Drew talks about a third type of calling, tertiary calling, which he says is a calling to do certain necessary tasks that in a fallen and imperfect world simply need to be done. These are the things that have to get done because we're called to carry each other's burdens and by so doing fulfill Christ's law. This is things like washing the dishes in your room when you know, in, in your apartment when you know that it's your roommate's turn to do it. Or for your future lives, maybe not for you right now, uh, getting up with a crying baby when you hear it, even though with every fiber of your being you want to pretend that you didn't hear it until your spouse gets up and deals with it. Sorry, Ben. Uh, you have to figure out who you're called to love in practical ways that aren't always glamorous ways. Figuring out how to fulfill any of these levels of calling requires that we unlearn what we think we know about our own plans and refocus on the fact that God created us and that in love and service to him, we do the best we can to faithfully love and serve the people he's put in our lives. For me, my vocational calling actually only became clear once I started teaching and figured out that that was what God had wired me to do. It was two years after my college graduation, so don't fret if you don't have it figured out yet. Um, in my life, I needed to unlearn what I thought I knew about what it meant to do Christian service and learn that all of life, including psychology, is an avenue of service to God. So I would say, looking back on my own college time, that my biggest gift was unlearning. Not throwing out what I believed, but thinking through why I believed it with fresh eyes. It mattered to how I understood my faith. It mattered to how I understood my neighbor and how I understood how I was supposed to live and act in the world. I am so happy that you have decided to work on that kind of unlearning with us. Welcome to Geneva.